Amen. Thank you for the great music this morning, choir and specials and congregational, wonderful. Thank you for being here today. And let me just say this about camp. I uh, have to give a little commercial there about camp. Make sure every teenager, every young person in this church goes to camp. And if you can help, uh, you do that. That's an investment that will be well worth uh, your time and effort. Uh, my dad, of course, was a dairy farmer, and it wasn't easy for him to let me go to camp. Uh, I was kind of the hired man, you know, uh, as a kid growing up, and uh, yet my dad always made sure that I went to camp. I was thinking about that. He was uh, born 100 years ago to, uh, yesterday, and I was thinking about him yesterday, uh, May 29th, 1921, and uh, he certainly grew up in those depression times and knew what it was to pinch a penny or two along the way, but I'm thankful that my dad saw fit that I would go to camp, and I uh, got saved at camp at the age of 15. I, was, uh, I dedicated my life to Christ at camp at age 16. I was called to preach at camp at age 19. I was called to evangelism at camp at age 20. And so four major decisions in my life were made at camp. And people say, well, camp decisions don't last. Well, I have four that have. I'm still saved. I still try to give my life to God every day. And I'm still preaching. And I'm still in evangelism. And about the only major thing I didn't decide to do at camp was get married. And there were some good candidates there, but uh, uh, they wouldn't let me. But uh, uh, nevertheless, major decisions in my life made at camp. And so uh, make sure you're, you're young people, as well as some maybe that otherwise couldn't go, if you can help them go, uh, that'll be an investment that will pay wonderful dividends uh, I'm sure. And so I just felt like I needed to say that this morning. And uh, maybe, it, maybe it encourages a young person even to go to camp and let God work in your heart. Well, what a joy it's been to be here these days. And I want you to take your Bible and go to the book of Isaiah and chapter 40 this morning. Isaiah and the 40th chapter. We're going to look at most of the chapter this morning in this message, but we'll start with verse 6. And read down to verse 9, Isaiah chapter 40, and starting with verse 6. The voice said, cry. And he said, what shall I cry? All flesh is grass, and all the goodliness thereof is as the flower of the field. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, because the Spirit of the Lord bloweth upon it. Surely the people is grass. The grass withereth, the flower fadeth, but the word of our God shall stand forever. O Zion, that bringest good tidings, get thee up into the high mountain. O Jerusalem, that bringest good tidings, lift up thy voice with strength. Lift it up, be not afraid. Say unto the cities of Judah, Behold your God. When I was 10 years old, I was riding in the back seat of our automobile. My dad was driving, my mom in the front, my sister and I in the back, and we were driving down Main Street in Watertown, Wisconsin. We were stopped at a stoplight, and I peered over the front seat, and I noticed on the bumper of the car right in front of us was a bumper sticker. I'll never forget it. It was kind of a light green color with black letters. It had three words. God is dead. God is dead. 
through my teenage years in those 1960s, I remember seeing that bumper sticker almost every day. I learned later that that particular philosophy came out of Germany. It was founded by a man named Friedrich Nietzsche. Nietzsche was a philosopher of sorts, and he believed that God had once existed but had died. And when God died, all absolutes died. All morals died. All ethics died with him. That philosophy permeated into culture, not only in Germany. Friedrich Nietzsche was Adolf Hitler's favorite writer. He followed him exclusively in his thinking. But that philosophy came over to the United States. Today we have a culture that is a product of that thinking that God is dead. But lest we point a finger, is God alive in your life? Did you talk to him this week? Did you hear him when he spoke to you? Did you think about him? Did you tell anyone else about him? How alive is God in our life? If I were to give you a piece of paper and a writing instrument this morning, and I were to ask you uh, to write down a definition of God, how would you define him? Use a sentence or two or three. How would you define God? Now, when we get that done, we have to ask ourselves a question. Does God believe in my God? Because if you were to go on the streets of Seattle this morning and you were to ask a simple question of people, who is God, you'd get a variety of answers. You get a lot of different opinions about who God is. But God is not who I think he is. He's not who the culture says he is. He's not who the news media say he is. We meet God in the Bible. And the reason we've gotten away from a proper definition of God is because we've moved away from God's word. Jesus said in Matthew 22 and verse 29, you do err not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. Isaiah said in chapter 8 and verse 20, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there's no light in them. In other words, if we get answers to spiritual questions from some other place other than the Bible, we don't have the right answer. Jeremiah said in chapter 8 verse 9, the wise men are ashamed. They are dismayed and taken. Lo, they've rejected the word of the Lord and what wisdom is in them. We have no wisdom apart from the word of God. So God is defined in his word. And here in chapter 40, we have a condensed definition by God of himself. So let's notice it. First, we find that God is above all. Let's start reading in verse 12. You follow. Who hath measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? and meted out heaven with a span, and comprehended the dust of the earth in a measure, and weighed the mountains in scales, and the hills in a balance. Who hath directed the Spirit of the Lord, or being his counselor, hath taught him? 
with whom took he counsel and who instructed him and taught him in the path of judgment and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding. Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket and are counted as the small dust of the balance. Behold, he taketh up the isles as a very little thing and Lebanon is not sufficient to burn nor the beast thereof sufficient for a burnt offering. All nations before him are as nothing. They're counted him less than nothing in vanity. To whom then will you liken God? Or what likeness will you compare unto him? The workman melteth the graven image, and gather, uh, the goldsmith spreadeth it over with gold, and casteth silver chains. He that is so impoverished that he hath no oblation chooseth a tree that will not rot. He seeketh in him a cunning workman to prepare a graven image that shall not be moved. Have ye not known? Have ye not heard? Hath it not been told you from the beginning? Have ye not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth, and the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers, that stretcheth out the heavens as a curtain, and spreadeth them out as a tent to dwell in, that bringeth the princes to nothing. He maketh the judges of the earth as vanity. Yea, they shall not be planted. Yea, they shall not be sown. Yea, their stock shall not take root in the earth, and he shall also blow upon them, and they shall wither, and the whirlwind shall take them away as stubble. To whom then will you liken me, or shall I be equal, saith the Holy One? Lift up your eyes on high, and behold, who hath created these things, that bringeth out their hosts by number. He calleth them all by names, by the greatness of his might, for he is strong in power, not one faileth. God is above all. See, when we go to define God, we would take something that we can see or, or something that we can observe in this universe and we would say, well, God is like, but who are you going to compare God to? Everything that you would say he's like, he created. He created all these things. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In Exodus 20, verse 11, in six days, the Lord God made the heavens and the earth. Job said, I know it is so of a truth, but how can a man be just with God? If he contend with him, he cannot answer him one in a thousand. Who hath hardened himself against him and hath prospered? which removeth the mountains and they know not, which overturneth them in his anger, which shaketh the earth out of her place and the pillars thereof tremble, which calleth Arcturus and Orion and Pallades and the chambers of the south, which doeth great things past finding out, yea, and wonders without number. In Job chapter 12 and verse 7, God says, Ask now the beasts and they'll tell thee. Speak to the earth, it'll teach thee. The fishes of the sea shall declare unto thee, yea, who knoweth not that in all these the hand of the Lord hath wrought this, in whose hand is the soul of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. Hannah, in her prayer in 1 Samuel chapter 2 and verse 2, she says, There's none holy as the Lord, for there's none beside thee, neither is there any rock like our God. Talk no more so exceeding proudly. Let not arrogancy go out of your mouth, for the Lord is the God of knowledge, and by him are actions weighed. 
The bows of the mighty are broken. They that stumbled are girded with strength. They that were full have hired out themselves for bread. And they that were hungry ceased. For the barren hath borne seven. And she that hath many children is waxed feeble. For the Lord killeth and maketh alive. He bringeth down to the grave and bringeth up again. The Lord maketh poor and maketh rich. He bringeth low and lifteth up. He raiseth up the poor out of the dust and lifteth up the beggar out of the dunghill to set them among princes that they may inherit the throne of glory. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's. He has set the worlds upon them. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Out of heaven shall he thunder upon them until they be destroyed. For by strength shall no man prevail. God is above all. We're not as big as we think we are. This solar system that we live in is six billion miles across. The galaxy that we inhabit is called the Milky Way. Now, nobody knows where it got that name, Milky Way. I think it was when the cow jumped over the moon. That's when they named it the Milky Way. But this Milky Way galaxy that we live in, they tell us in science, if you could step back in the universe and look at the Milky Way from a distance, it would look like a giant bowl or a giant dish. Now, if you could get on one end of this galaxy called the Milky Way, and if you could travel at the speed of light, which is 186,282 miles per second, that's moving. If you could travel at the speed of light, it would take you 100,000 years to cross this galaxy called the Milky Way. And science estimates today there are a hundred billion galaxies like ours. Forty sextillion solar systems. The earth is 25,000 miles in circumference. It's 25,000 miles around this planet. The sun is 1,300,000 times bigger than the earth. The next nearest star to us after the sun is 26 trillion miles away. The supernova, which was recently discovered, has 10 septillion. Now, we're getting into the big numbers. If you're taking notes, you've got to start way over on the left hand of your paper. Because 10 septillion is a 10 with 24 zeros after it. The supernova has 10 septillion times more energy in it than the hydrogen bomb. You see why David walked out one night and he said, The heavens declare the glory of God? The firmament showeth his handiwork, day unto day utter speech, night unto night showeth knowledge. There's no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their lines go out to the ends of the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Did you see what God said about the nations? Look again at verse 15. He says, Behold, the nations are as a drop of a bucket and are counted as the small dust of the balance. We do not use balance scales today in our weights and measurement systems. We, we still know what a balance scale is, that post with the two arms, the chains, and the plates. We, we understand that. It's a symbol of our judicial system. But we don't use that instrument to weigh things today. But in the Bible, that was a common form of measurement. 
when you went into a store in Bible days and you said, I'd like a pound of flour. Well, the merchant would reach down under the counter and he would take out a one pound weight. He would take a 16 ounce weight and he would place it on one side of this balance scale. And of course, the scale would tip in the direction of that one pound. Now he would take the flour sack and he would start pouring flour into the other side of that scale. And when it was balanced, you knew you had a pound of flour. Now there were some merchants who were dishonest. And so you'd come in the store and you'd say, I'd like a pound of flour. And the merchant might think, I'm going to rip this guy off. I don't like him. So he'd reach under the counter, but instead of pulling out a 16-ounce weight, he would pull out a 15-ounce weight. Oh, it said one pound on it, but it only weighed 15 ounces. And he'd place it on that one side of the scale. And now he'd pour that flour in, and you thought you were buying a pound of flour, but you were only getting 15 ounces because he had divers' weights. He had various weights. The Bible says divers' weights are an abomination unto the Lord. A false balance is an abomination unto the Lord. See, God doesn't want us ripping off people. We're supposed to be honest. We're supposed to have integrity. Now, there were these dishonest merchants. So what was an honest merchant going to do to contradict that? Well, in Bible days, if a merchant was honest... Before he would ever put a weight on that scale or any flour on that scale, he would take out a cloth and he would wipe the dust off of the balance. Now, dust doesn't weigh anything, but it was symbolic of his honesty. So if you came in, you said, I'd like a pound of flour. He was showing you his honesty by first taking that cloth and wiping that scale clear so that you were getting an authentic measurement. And God uses that illustration to say the nations before him are like the dust of the balance. Look at verse 17. He says all nations before him are as nothing. They're counting him less than nothing. Get that balance scale in your mind again. Two sides of the scale, God says, all right, take all the nations of the world, all of them, the big powers, the Russias, the Chinas, the United States, take the medium-sized nations, the Japans, the Koreas, the, the Irans, the Brazils, the South Africans, take all the nations of the world, put them all over here on this side of the scale, and then put me on the other side. And God says, next to me, they're below zero. Less than nothing. See, see, don't get too concerned about what's going on in government. The king's heart is in the hand of the Lord. Less than nothing. So where does that put me? Well, verse 22, he says, the inhabitants thereof are as grasshoppers. Listen, we have a great God greatly to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountain of His holiness, beautiful for situation. The joy of the whole earth is Mount Zion in the sides of the north, the city of that great king. He's the true God, Jeremiah said. He's the living God. He's an everlasting king. God is above all. But notice, secondly, God is aware of all. 
Now, whenever you think about God and all of his magnificence, all of his power, I don't know about you, but my first thought is, well, a God like that, he doesn't care about me. I mean, why would God, I mean, the creator of the universe, what does he care if I'm saved or not? What does he care if I'm in church or not? I mean, there are 8.4 billion people on the planet. He doesn't care about my aches and pains. He doesn't care about my checkbook balance. He he doesn't care about my broken relationships. I mean, a God that powerful, that magnificent, that awesome, he, he doesn't possibly think about me. But we're wrong. Look at verse 27. Why sayest thou, O Jacob, and speakest, O Israel, my way is hid from the Lord, and my judgment is passed over from my God? Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard, that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, fainteth not, neither is weary. There's no searching of his understanding. God is not only above all, he's aware of all. Whenever you think of creation, it's fun, at least for me, to think about the big things. I like the massive numbers. I like these big, awesome things in space that God has made. But whenever you think about God and creation, you also have to think about the details. Matter is made up of atoms. Atoms are what make up matter. Now, an atom is so small, we can't even see it under a microscope. All you're seeing under the microscope is a reflection of the atom. In fact, I'm told if you take 100,000 atoms and you line them up in a single file line next to each other, the distance of 100,000 atoms will cross the width of a human hair. And yet inside each one of those tiny little atoms is at least a proton, neutron, and electron. And guess who put them there? Details. Our earth is tilted on its axes. Whenever you see a globe, like in the library or in a school classroom, it's always tilted, isn't it? Did you know that our earth is tilted at an exact degree of angle in space? They tell us that if our earth was tilted just one direction, one one degree, one direction, we'd all freeze to death. If it was tilted one degree the other direction, we'd all burn up. So our earth is tilted at an exact degree of angle in space so that life can inhabit this planet we call the earth. Now, that globe, that earth in the school library or on the teacher's desk, it's on a stand that's holding it at that tilt of angle. You can go up and give it a spin, watch the world go around. And it it remains at that tilt because there's a stand that's holding it in that position. But Job 26, 7 says, He stretcheth out the north over the empty place and hangeth the earth upon nothing. So our earth today is tilted at this exact degree of angle and never wavers, yet it's hanging on nothing. And as you contemplate those facts, the fact that it's tilted at an angle, hanging on nothing, remember it's also spinning. Once every 24 hours, exactly once every 24 hours. And while you think about the fact that it's tilted at an exact degree of angle, hanging on nothing, spinning every 24 hours, it's also revolving around the sun. 
details. The moon. The moon that we have as an earth is situated in, a, in an exact proximity to our earth. In fact, I am told that if the moon was situated 100 miles farther from our earth, we'd have no tides. And if we had no tides, we'd have no seasons, no summers, fall, winter, spring. Now, if the moon was situated 100 miles closer to the earth, we'd have no land. We'd be covered with water. Details. Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them does not fall to the ground without your heavenly Father. Not one bird today anywhere in this world will fall to the ground in death without God attending the funeral. Not one. Even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. That verse does not tell us that God knows how many hairs are in our head. We could figure that out. We have somebody counting. For some of you, we could be done by noon. I mean, it doesn't take long at all. Some of you look like your wife married you for the waves. Now all that's left is the beach. That's okay, though. It's okay. It's okay. This is not a bald spot. It's a solar panel. <laughs> we, we could figure out how many hairs are in our head, but God has them all numbered. Every hair on top of my head, every eyebrow hair, every eyelash hair, every whisker, every hair in my head has a number with God. Details. Your body has 203 bones. You have 600 muscles. You have 970 miles of blood vessels running through your body, taking oxygen, water, and nutrients to your tissues so you can be healthy. You have 600 million air cells taking air into your lungs as you breathe. You have 4,000 taste buds on your tongue so you can determine sweet and bitter and sour. You have 10,000 hairs inside each one of your ears. Again, this is encouraging. And I'm told that if just one of those little hairs, one of those little strings inside your ear becomes damaged, your hearing's impaired. We have 3,500 sweat tubes for every square inch of skin on our body. Some of you teenagers need to be writing this down. These are important facts because one day you're going to have your first date. And when you have your first date, there are some awkward periods of silence. I mean, you go into a date thinking you know what to say, but after about two minutes, it just goes silent. And it's awkward. So you need information. You need facts. You need something to talk about. You should be writing this down because in that awkward silence, you can just look at your partner and say, you know, those are the most beautiful sweat tubes I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> but it's those sweat tubes that allow our skin to be air conditioned so that we can adapt to different climates, different temperatures, different altitudes. We breathe in 4,200 gallons of air every day. Our heart beats 2,400 times every hour and pumps 12 tons of blood through your body every day. And you don't have to think about it. You don't get up in the morning and go, I got to breathe, I got to breathe, I got to breathe. I got to hope these hairs in my ear are okay. No, you just, you get up, you, you, 
get dressed, you, you, you go to work, you, you come home, you eat, you sleep. We don't even think about it till it starts breaking down. But God keeps it all together because of the details of his creation. And you don't think God knows if you're saved or not? You don't, you don't think God knows about the sin in our life? You, you don't think God is aware of those, those prayer requests that nobody else seems to care about? You don't think that God understands the burdens, the trials, the difficulties of your life? How foolish to think that God is unaware of us. God is above all. God is aware of all. But I want you to see finally today, God is able to do all. I love these last three verses. Look at them. Verse 29, he giveth power to the faint. And to them that have no might, he increaseth strength. Even the youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. God is able to do all. I like the way Jeremiah said it. Ah, Lord God, thou hast made the heavens and the earth by thy great power and by the stretched out arm, and there is nothing too hard for thee. Do you believe that? Nothing too hard for the Lord? One day God came to Abraham and Sarah and he said, you're going to have a son. And Abraham and Sarah laughed because Abraham was 99 years old and Sarah was 90. And God had promised them a son years before. It's called the Abrahamic covenant. He had told them that through Abraham was going to come a great nation. He had promised him a son, but Abraham's 99. Sarah's 90. And so when God in Genesis 18 declares to them they're going to have a son, Abraham and Sarah laugh and they said, God, it's too late. We're old. We're well stricken in age. They said we're past the age of bearing children. In other words, biologically, it was impossible. But God said in verse 14, is anything too hard for the Lord? And I love Genesis 21 and verse 1. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did unto Sarah as he had spoken. And Sarah conceived and bare Abraham a son at the set time of which God had spoken to him. (laughs) See, with men it was impossible, but not with God. With God, all things are possible. And when God makes a statement like that, he doesn't put a period at the end of it. He puts an exclamation point. Because Sarah did bear a son. His name was Isaac. And Isaac lives to be 40, and Sarah dies. So if Isaac is 40 when Sarah dies in Genesis chapter 23, that would make Sarah 130 at at her death. That would mean Abraham was 139. He's 99 when Isaac is born. 40 years later, 139 if I got my math right. 
At that point, Genesis 23, Abraham looks at his son Isaac as Isaac mourns the loss of his mother. And he says, Isaac needs a wife. There's a hole in his heart. And it can only be filled by a wife. So Abraham sends his servant to go find a wife for his son Isaac. And that's Genesis 24. And it's a beautiful love story. Now, it takes a while for love to happen. It takes 67 verses, in fact. Long chapter. But it's a thrilling chapter. The servant goes and he finds Rebecca. And he brings Rebecca back to Isaac. And it's love at first sight. And the end of the chapter says the marriage is consummated. And the last verse, verse 67, it says that Isaac is comforted upon the death of his mother. Then you turn the page, chapter 25, verse 1. Abraham gets remarried. He's 139. He gets remarried. And in verse 2, it tells us he has six more kids. And they weren't sextuplets. <laughs> Takes a while to have six kids. At 99, he said, God, this is impossible. There's no way. We're past the age. You blew it, God. It's too late. God says, you watch. I can do anything! Exclamation point. And boy, did he ever... Prove that fact. Listen, I don't know what seems impossible to you today. You may think, I can't get saved. I mean, I, I've done all these horrible things. God, God, there's no way God loves me. There's no way God wants me in heaven. Listen, friend, he is able to save them to the uttermost that come unto God by him, seeing he ever liveth to make intercession for you. Did you know, friend, that you may have a pastor that's praying for you to be saved. You may have a mom or a dad that's praying for you to be saved. You may have a child praying for you to be saved. But you have a God in heaven who's making intercession for you this morning to be saved. God loves you. It doesn't matter what you've done or where you've been or how far you've gone away from God. He wants you to be saved. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You can be saved. Christian, there's no sinful habit we can't conquer. People say, well, it's just the way I am. You know, you should have met my dad. He was even worse. I just, you know, I lose my temper. I just have some bad words. Or I, I have some lustful thoughts. I just can't, I just can't. Wait a minute. There hath no temptation taken you but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. There, there's no sin in our life that we can't conquer, that we can't have victory over. You may be here today saying, there, there, there's some things I need to do. There's some steps I need to take in my Christian life, but I'm just afraid to. I, 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 I'm afraid of what people might think, or I'm afraid of what it might cost me if I, if I, if I make that decision. And, and we hold back because we think, I just, I just can't. Wait a minute. Faithful is he that calleth you who also will do it. You can't do it, but God through you can. He's able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. 
So when are we going to start trusting this God? When are we going to start acting upon his promises? When are we going to start living as if God is alive in our life? He's not dead. You can talk to him right now. He'll save you. You can talk to him right now, Christian. He'll forgive you. You can talk to him right now, and he'll give you the strength and power to take that next step, whatever it is, in your Christian life. We have a great God. He's above all. He's aware of all. And he's able to do all. So trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He'll direct your paths. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for defining yourself. Lord, it's, it's discouraging to hear people use your name in vain to talk about God as if he's some commonality on this planet. Lord, you're, you are who you say you are. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said, shall he not do it? Hath he spoken, shall he not make it good? Whatever you've said about yourself is true. Whatever you've said you can do is true. And Lord, I pray for that dear man or woman or young person here today that doesn't know you as Savior. Lord, today they'd step out and say, you know what? I know God loves me. And he sent his son to die for me on a cross. And he died and was buried and rose again the third day so I could have eternal life and I'm going to trust him as my Savior. I pray, Lord, for that young person or adult today as a Christian that's struggling, doubting, fearing. Lord, I pray that you'd show us who you are. We know who we are. And without you, we can do nothing. But Lord, with you, there is nothing impossible. So may you help us to act on decisions of obedience today that will please you. I pray that you'll work in all of our hearts. As heads are just bowed for a moment, I wonder, before I close this prayer, maybe you'd say, John, I don't know for sure that I'm saved. Or Brother Gatch, I'm saved, but I, I, need, I need to trust God in my life for this sin or I need to trust God in my life for this victory that I need to have, this step of obedience I need to take. God is defining himself for me today and showing me that I can trust him, that I can follow him, and I need your prayers. While heads are bowed, no one's looking about, but if, if that's you, would you just lift your hand and let me pray for you today? Just slip it up for a moment. God bless you. God bless you. There are others. God bless you. Anyone else today? If God is who he says he is, then I need to start believing he's alive in my life and able to do so much more than what I can do without him. Father, I pray that we would respond to this wonderful wonderful truth about yourself that you're able to do all and Lord where we have doubts where we have fears I pray your Holy Spirit would overcome them today and draw us unto yourself 
May you be glorified in the decisions we make. We pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Let's stand quietly with our heads bowed and our penis is going to begin to play.